Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have two stories and one reminder. Uh, The reminder is this. Do not be afraid. Some have suggested uh, the Bible repeats that phrase 365 times and that the rabbis offered one for each day of the year. By my math, I don't draw the same conclusion, but it's true still anyway. You can have it every day. Do not be afraid. Not fear like a child in the dark, but there is something frightful on this Halloween weekend in a world pandemic with the most contentious election of my lifetime, at least, on the horizon. Do not be afraid. Tuesday is going to happen. Votes are going to be counted. Most prognosticators are predicting you'll wake up on Wednesday morning with no clearer picture of who the next president of the United States will be than you have right now. And people will start talking. And I'd just offer a pastoral encouragement to back off from the news. And emotions will swirl, and I'd like to invite you to be attentive to your own heart. And people will begin behaving in ways they otherwise wouldn't have had they paid attention to their hearts. So let me offer it again. Pay attention to the emotions swirling in your heart. And let me remind you, do not be afraid. This is not some sort of pious, evangelical sideshow inviting you to inaction while the rest of the world burns. It's the core of the Christian faith. It's the heart of the gospel. Do not be afraid. Not just evangelicals, but Christians in all times and in so many places of the Reformed tradition too have been shouting, do not be afraid. Uh, My friend Sarah Kuby, the new administrative assistant here at Pillar, is going to read for us from the Heidelberg Catechism its way of saying, don't be afraid. Listen to this. Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer number 26. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? That the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father because of Christ the Son. I trust God so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul, and will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this sad world. God is able to do this because he is Almighty God and desires to do this because he is a faithful father. That's the catechism's way of saying, don't be afraid. I'm not not urging for some sort of emotional strength, a kind of gut check, check, suck it up, get tougher, an emotional bravado. I'm, I'm inviting you to trust God. Do you trust God? God, maker of heaven and earth, God, restorer in life, forgiver of sin, redeemer in death, God, do you trust God? 
Some of you will, will quickly answer yes, pastor yes, and offended by the question so defensive in the answer. Others may be a little slower to speak. I want to, but I've been hurt. I'd like to. Can you give me another reason? The Christian faith has been saying for a very long time, do not be afraid. Now that's the reminder. Here's the first story. And now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, and just as a side note, you're going to hear some names you may not recognize in places you've never been. Don't be distracted. The story will tell itself. Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, There will be neither dew nor rain in these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go now, turn eastward, and hide by the wadi Cherith, east of Jordan. I've commanded a raven to feed you there. So Elijah did as the word of the Lord commanded him. He went and lived by the wadi Cherith, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the wadi. But after a while, the wadi dried up because there was no rain on the land. So the Lord said to him, Go now to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, for I have commanded a widow to feed you there. So he went to Zarephath, and as he came to the gate of the city, he saw a widow gathering sticks. And he called to her, saying, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was bringing it, he said to her, Make me a little cake in your hand. And she said to him, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug, and I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go home and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not be afraid. Go and do as you have said, but first... Make a little cake and bring it to me. Then make some for yourself and for your son. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the meal in the jar will not run empty and the oil in the jug will not fail until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. So she went and did as Elijah had said, and she, as well as he and her whole household, ate for many days the meal in the jar did not run empty, and the oil in the jug did not fail according to the word of the Lord that was spoken by Elijah. After this, the son of the widow, the mistress of the house, became ill. The illness was so severe, there was no breath left in him. And the woman said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to bring my sin to remembrance and cause the death of my son. And Elijah said, Give me your son. And he took him from her bosom, and he carried him to the upper chamber where he was staying. And he laid him on his own bed, and he cried out to God, O Lord God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I'm staying by killing her son? And he stretched himself on the child three times. And he cried out to God, O Lord God, 
Bring life to the boy that he might live. And the Lord heard Elijah's voice. And the life came into the boy, and he was revived. And Elijah took him from the upper chamber and brought him into the house and gave him to his mother and said, See, your son is alive. And the woman said, Now I know you are a man of God. And the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's 1 Kings 17, if you want to find it with me. I just want to revel in it with you. What an amazing story. What a stunning story. What an incredible ending. The, the widow of Zarephath. Let me provide some of the details between the lines. To be a widow in ancient Israel is to be nothing. The widow of Zarephath, a foreigner, an outcast, becomes a believer, becomes a God-fearer. Now I know the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. She who was preparing her last meal sits at the banquet of eternity now. She who was picking up a few sticks with a little meal in the jar and a little oil in the jug now feasts with her son and her whole household for many days. That story can be your story. You with your back against the wall, you at the end of your rope, you at the end of the line, maybe not making your last meal, but stirring the last little bit of courage you have to make it in this challenge you're facing, or the last little bit of calm you can muster amidst the contention in our season, you who are trying to find the last little piece available amidst the controversy of our day, this can be your story too. Do not be afraid. When political pressures push, and circumstances overwhelm, and all hope gives way to loss, do not be afraid. Uh, when political pressures push, do not be afraid. Just to give you a little context for this 1 Kings 17 story, it starts like this. Now, Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, Elijah was the prophet, Ahab was the king. <laughs> The king of Israel. King Ahab of Israel had fallen in love with Jezebel, the daughter of a foreign king, and had not only embraced her, but embraced all of her practices, customs, and God. Ahab was worshiping Baal. Ahab set up altars around Israel to Baal, and God was not pleased. God was not pleased at all, and sent Elijah to Ahab to say, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Neither dew nor rain shall fall in these years except by my word. And Elijah goes into hiding. When political pressures push, do not be afraid. He goes into hiding by the wadi cherith because God said, The ravens will provide you food there. When political pressures push, God provides. Can I be honest? I'm going to be honest. I love you too much not to be honest. Every four years, for the last 20 years of my pastoral existence, my heart breaks. My heart breaks because the people I love yell and argue and fight and divide because of the convictions they hold and they ought to hold because of the passions they have for concerns and their right to be concerned. 
And I'm not asking you to get rid of your convictions, and I'm not asking you to set aside your passions, and I'm not asking you to not pursue change in the world, but I am wondering with you, do we too often misplace our affection and mislocate our loyalty? The Bible has said over and over again, do not put your trust in princes. He who sits in the heavens laughs. Jesus Christ is king. Do you trust God? Do not be afraid. Some have suggested people of faith in general, and Christians in particular, are practical atheists. That's a phrase used by a theologian named Klaus Bachmuel. Basically, we sing the songs of the faith, and we announce the creeds of the faith, and we say prayers between most meals to God, but we live as if God doesn't exist. We live as if God is some projection of our own imagination, like an invisible friend you can talk to and you can talk about, but God's not going to do anything. God couldn't actually show up and do anything, and the Christian faith has been announcing for the longest time, God, 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 do not be afraid. When you wake up on Wednesday morning, will you trust God? When political pressures push, don't be afraid. When circumstances overwhelm, don't be afraid. Elijah goes on the run. Elijah goes into hiding. God prompt to Zarephath, where God has promised a widow will take care of him. It was one thing to believe that a, that a raven would provide for Elijah. I mean, there's at least biblical precedent. Remember Noah and the ark and the raven goes back and forth, and finally the raven doesn't come back, a sign of hope. There's land, there's future, there's possibility, but a widow? There's no, there's no precedent in the Bible for a widow providing anything. She's the last, she's the least, she's the forgotten. Her husband has died, which in some spiritual way, must have been her fault. She's got a son, which promises a future, but she doesn't have a husband, so has no presence. She's at the end. She's at the back. She's at the bottom. She's gathering a few sticks. That's what, that's what she said. I have a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go home to prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And what does Elijah say? Do not be afraid. When the circumstances overwhelm, do not be afraid. The jar of meal will not run empty. The jug of oil will not fail. Until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah had said. And she, as well as he, and her whole household ate for many days. She, she, the widow woman, the outcast untouchable, at the end of her rope, the, the bucket is empty, the jar is running dry. She becomes the provider. She who has nothing is the one who gives. She who's at the end of the rope is offering strength. She who is preparing herself to die is the one promising a future with hope. That can be your story too. You, at the end of your rope, trying to find a little calm, the last little bit of calm you have in this anxious world, trying to find the last little bit of peace you can muster in this contentious world, trying to find the last little bit of courage to get it through the challenge of the day, you can be the one who gives. You can be the one who provides. You can be the one who offers courage, hope, and strength in a difficult season. When circumstances overwhelm, do not be afraid. 
And when all hope gives way to grief, do not be afraid. It would have been great if the story would have ended right there with the woman, she and he and their whole household ate for many days. We could slap high fives. We could fist bump. We could chest bump. We could go on our way looking for a bushel basket of goodness on our front porch tomorrow. But the story goes on. Isn't, doesn't, it always goes that way, doesn't it? You think you've arrived. You think you've got it. You think you've finally settled into a secure place. But the story goes on. Your story does, this one does too. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. Nothing you can do about it. I mean, we could find a little more bread. We could track down a little more water. But illness, that just disrupts. Illness, that just breaks in. Illness, that, there's not, no, no preparing. There's no planning. There's no stewarding. Sometimes things outside of your control just break in, disrupt, and break you down. The son of the widow, the mistress of the house, became ill. The illness was so severe, there was no breath left in him. And the woman, rightfully, she starts yelling at Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You've come to bring my sin to remembrance. My husband is dead. And cause the death of my son, my future's lost. And Elijah says, give me your son. And he takes him and he brings him up to the upper chamber where he's been staying. And he lays him on his own bed and he stretches himself on him three times. And he cries out to God, bring life back to the boy. And the God who breathed life out of the dust of the ground in the beginning now breathes life into the dust of that little boy's body. And, and Elijah takes him down and gives him to the woman and says, see, your son is alive. It's a resurrection story. When all hope has given way to grief, God, do not be afraid. It's a resurrection story. But the deal is with this story, with this boy, he goes on to die. If he hadn't died, if he didn't die, we would know him now. We'd see him today. We'd take pilgrimages anywhere around the world to find this boy who was resurrected from the dead. But he goes on to die. This story, this resurrection story is a prelude precursor to a different resurrection story, to a different boy, to a different son, the beloved son, the only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who takes on himself the illness of the whole world, takes it on himself, takes it with him to the cursed cross where he leaves illness there cursed, goes to the grave to defeat death, rises up in resurrection to offer life, full, whole, beautiful life for you. That's the gospel. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I promised you two stories. Uh, I want to share a little bit uh, of Jonna Stott's story. Uh, Jonna and her husband, Travis, were their two beauties Two sweet kids have been a part of the Pillar community for several years now. Living the dream in a way, sweet family, moved to a new house a couple years ago. They're both working jobs they love. And then disruption. Uh, this summer, Jana was diagnosed with breast cancer. It was stage one. They were as optimistic as you can be if you're going to use the word cancer, did some tests. It was just going to be a simple procedure and she'd have vacation left over. The tests, actually it was in the lymph nodes too, so stage two and then a little more and then now it's stage three and then they found a spot on her liver. So they're wondering now, is it stage four? Uh, here's the text she sent me. My double mastectomy surgery was on September 30. 
We went into this feeling very positive that the cancer was at a stage one and additional treatments were not going to be needed. Unfortunately, during surgery, my lymph nodes were tested and cancer was found in two of the three that were removed, stage two. Additional lymph nodes needed to be removed and tested. Overall, 18 lymph nodes were taken from my left side, six had cancer, stage three. Further testing was done. There's a spot on my liver, now the concern, stage four. Now chemo. Chemo will bring me to my breaking point, literally, doctor's words. I will lose my hair. At the beginning of November, I'll start a five-month process of chemo, followed by four to six weeks of radiation, then six to nine months after that, reconstruction. Every day I learn something new about cancer, treatments, myself. We are continuously amazed by others. The generosity of our community is something I can't explain. Flowers, dinners, ice cream, gifts for the kids, lawn care, the list goes on. But the most cherished blessing has been the connection with others. Those I haven't talked to in a long time, those that have their own story to share, or those we didn't know well but have embraced us anyway, neighbors, coworkers, pillarites, healthcare providers, God is so good. Stage one, stage two, stage three. Will there be a stage four? Chemo, breaking point, disruption, young family, reconstruction. God is so good. The witness of our friend, God is so good. The witness of the widow of Zarephath, God is so good. The promise of the gospel, God is so good. Do not be afraid. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, do not be afraid. Amen.